This is Catholic Daily Brief. Episode 29. What is virtue? In the last episode, we talked about freedom. And freedom is the power, the ability to choose the good. The more one wills what is good, that is what is truly good, the more free one is. They have a greater command over their will. And if one has a habitual disposition to always will what is good, we call that virtue. We call that person a virtuous person. To put it in the words of the Catechism, virtue in general is a habitual and firm disposition to do the good. So one cannot be said to be virtuous simply by one action, though that is the way to develop virtue. But when one has a firm and habitual tendency or disposition to do virtuous acts, then one can be said to have that virtue. This has been the understanding of virtue from time of the ancient Greeks, in particular Aristotle. This is how he defined virtue, this firm disposition to choose the good, to will the good. So someone that consistently is generous or consistently is courageous or consistently acts justly, you can say that that person has the virtue of generosity or courage or justice. As I said, in order to acquire virtues, these natural virtues, it requires practice. The phrase fake it till you make it really does apply to virtue. As fallen human beings, we have sin and we have concupiscence and we have this tendency against doing the good sometimes and tendency to choose what is evil or mere apparent goods. It requires actual practice to acquire virtues. If we wish to become a generous person, the virtue of generosity, that requires us acting against our inclination to keep our own wealth. And with one generous action after another, Eventually, doing this consistently enough, it becomes like second nature. I can then be said to have that virtue because I have a, a firm and stable disposition to give to those in need. Same with courage. You can imagine in battle having to force yourself for the first time to overcome your fear, the fear of bodily harm, in order to achieve some objective. Doing this over and over again, it becomes again second nature. Then you can be said to have the virtue of courage. So with regard to these natural human virtues, it should be comforting to know that if we consider ourselves deficient in some way or we have certain vices, that we can acquire the opposite virtue. It just requires practice. We're not doomed to forever be a vicious person, whether it be being greedy or being cowardly or whatever. Furthermore, Aristotle even makes the argument, which I think is borne out in our experience, that the practice of virtue is naturally pleasant. It gives us pleasure. I think we can all remember times where we've had to go do some form of service and we kind of dread it and we'd rather not. But then after having done it, we have this experience of, of happiness. You know, you have the, the trite line from people that go and do service work and they say, well, they gave me more than I ever gave them. Although that sounds kind of silly because we hear it all the time, it actually is an expression of the natural pleasantness of the practice of virtue. So this has just been talking about virtue in general and really just focusing on natural human virtues. The first division we want to make in virtue is supernatural virtues and natural virtues. So of course, to do anything meritorious in the eyes of God, it requires grace. Christ said, without me, you can do nothing. So to do anything that has supernatural value, it requires God's grace to elevate our own actions. We can't do it just by our own human effort. We can't merit anything by our 
natural will or anything like that. It requires grace. So there are supernatural virtues and natural virtues. Natural virtues, basically just what I was describing before. Think about uh, pagans of old or people that don't believe in God, but, but do live good, virtuous lives. This is praiseworthy and it can be something that prepares the soul for grace to live a life that's naturally good. It can bring one closer to a conversion to belief in God. But on its own, natural virtue is not supernaturally valuable. The ancient pagans or an agnostic person or an atheist can't work their way to salvation just by doing naturally good works without the aid of grace and, of course, without belief in God. Supernatural virtues are what we want to focus on because we're talking about the life of a Catholic. Supernatural virtues we can divide into theological virtues and the cardinal virtues. The theological virtues are faith, hope, and charity. Those are well known. And they have God as their object. That is, our faith is in God, our hope is in God, our love is directed to God. So God is the object of the theological virtues. Whereas the cardinal virtues have other objects, even though they are still meritorious because they are elevated by grace. So we can think of prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude. These, these four virtues, cardinal virtues, can exist both naturally and supernaturally. Like an ancient Greek could have had prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude not elevated by grace, so it would be natural virtue. We can also have prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance elevated by grace, and they are supernatural. What are the three theological virtues? Well, again, let's use the language of the catechism. The theological virtue of faith is the theological virtue by which we believe in God and believe all that he has said and revealed to us and that Holy Church propose, proposes for our belief. By faith, we freely commit ourselves to God. The virtue of hope is the theological virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness, placing our trust in Christ's promises and relying not on our own strength, but on the help of the grace of the Holy Spirit. And finally, charity is the theological virtue by which we love God above all things for his own sake and our neighbor as ourselves for the love of God. What are the four cardinal virtues? Well, first to explain prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance as the four cardinal virtues, it helps us to understand what traditionally has been seen as the internal makeup of the human being, what our interior life is, and it's kind of a hierarchy. At the top is our reason, the highest, most noble part of us. Under that is the will, and under the will are the appetites or the passions. Those are divided into what are called irascible appetite and concupiscible appetite. Now, what does all that mean? Our concupiscible appetite relate to sensible goods regarding pleasure and pain and all that. And our irascible appetite relates to the good, the sensible good, considered as difficult to achieve. So our irascible appetite involves things like courage and fear and, and worldly hope, whereas our concupiscible appetite relates to pleasure and pain, joy and sorrow. So the reason that we list the cardinal virtues as prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance is because prudence relates to the reason, the highest, justice relates to the will, fortitude relates to the irascible appetite, so like courage and bravery and things like this, and concupiscible appetite relate to temperance, you know, moderation with food and drink and physical pleasures. So that's why they are in that order, and that's why they're called cardinal, because they're, they're the virtues on which other subsidiary virtues hinge. That's what cardinal means. It's like a hinge. Just one example, uh, under the virtue of justice, you have the virtue of religion. So since justice is 
the firm disposition to render to each each one his due, then of course rendering to God his due in worship, in religion, is related to the virtue of justice. So we gave definitions of the theological virtues from the catechism. Let's do the same for the cardinal virtues. So the catechism defines prudence as the virtue that disposes practical reason to discern our true good in every circumstance and to choose the right means of achieving it. It is right reason in action, according to St. Thomas. So what does that mean? We all know kind of, we, we use the word prudent colloquially quite a bit. We know in general, we have a vague understanding of what it means, but it's basically not only recognizing what your true good is in a particular situation, because this is dealing with specific practical matters, but also seeing the right means of achieving that good. So to be prudent is not simply to be clever, it's to see the good and to see the proper means of achieving that good. Justice is the moral virtue that consists in the constant and firm will to give each one their due, both to God and to neighbor. That one is kind of self-explanatory, and we all are pretty familiar with the concept of justice. Fortitude is the moral virtue that ensures firmness in difficulties and constancy in the pursuit of the good. Remember that this relates to the irascible appetite, which deals with the good as difficult to achieve. It strengthens the resolve to resist temptations and to overcome obstacles in the moral life. The virtue of fortitude enables one to conquer fear, even fear of death, and to face trials and persecutions. It disposes one even to renounce and sacrifice his life in defense of a just cause. So obviously the highest form of fortitude would be martyrdom, uh, considered from a Christian perspective. To be constant in the midst of fear, even fear of death, for the highest good, that's what martyrdom is. Temperance is the moral virtue that moderates the attraction of pleasures and provides balance in the use of created goods. It ensures the will's mastery over instincts. A temperate person directs his sensible appetites towards what is truly good and does not let himself be controlled by his passions. So that hierarchy that we mentioned before, the interior life of the human, is at the top reason, then will, then irascible and concupiscible appetites. That is also the model of who should be in control. So someone that is virtuous, their will is subservient to their reason. Right? They don't just go and, and just do stuff because they will to do it, but they perceive what is true and good, and then they will that. So the reason is in charge. The will serves the reason, and the appetites and passions can serve the will. Like if I, if I want to serve my country, if I want to win a battle, you know, I need to summon my irascible appetite to overcome my fear. I need to summon the emotions and the, and the passions that can be in service of what is truly good as long as it's subservient to the reason and the will. There is, for example, such thing as righteous anger. That is the proper order of things where the reason perceives an injustice, the will desires to correct it, and it summons the passions to express opposition to injustice. Think about Christ, for example, clearing out the temple. However, when that hierarchy is flipped, when the appetites are in control, then that's a completely vicious person controlled by vice. The order of things is totally put on its head. That it's the passions that control us. That we might see what is good, but we're unable to will it because our appetites, in fact, are directing the will and not the reason directing the will. One often hears that uh, virtue lies in the middle, and that's true to a certain extent. It's certainly not true for theological virtues, okay? You don't want to moderate your love of God. You don't want to moderate your hope or your faith in God. There is no upper end to the intensity of our faith, hope, and love. It is not good to say, well, I'm just going to be kind of in the middle. I'm just going to kind of be lukewarm with my faith, hope, and love. That is not the case. 
In the moral virtues, it is the case in the sense that courage is the virtue, and the two extremes on the other sides of courage would be, of course, cowardice and being foolhardy, you know, just kind of rushing into battle with no understanding of the danger, right? It wouldn't even be courage unless there is a certain fear. So that's what's meant by virtue lies in the middle. Same with temperance. Temperance is the proper use of sensible goods. On either side of temperance, there are the extremes of excessive love of food and drink and bodily pleasure. And on the other extreme, uh, Puritanism, which kind of rejects the goodness of created things. Those are both errors. So it's not as if you want to just have a little bit of temperance. It's that temperance is the middle. The virtue is found in the middle of this spectrum of the way we can treat created goods. There's despising created goods entirely or loving them excessively, but the virtue is in the middle, treating them as they ought to be treated. So conflating the, the phrase virtue lies in the middle with something like being, well, I'm a moderate or I'm a centrist and things like that politically, those are not at all saying the same thing. Virtue lies in the middle because it, it finds the proper way to relate to certain goods. So while the virtue itself is found in the middle, one should cultivate the virtue as much as possible. You should cultivate the virtue of temperance as much as you possibly can. Cultivate the virtue of fortitude as much as you possibly can. Prudence and justice, the same. Being virtuous is not being moderate in the way we use it now. You want to be extremely virtuous. While saying that you're moderate or in the middle in political talk like we do now usually just means that you straddle certain lines to appease various ideological groups. Right? These are very different ideas. Being moderate is not a good thing unless you're talking about being temperate in food and drink, for example, or being moderate in your speech, not speaking too much when it's not necessary. So when do we receive these supernatural virtues? Since we can't work them out or develop them on our own because we only have natural capabilities, we can't merit supernatural realities, we receive them first at baptism in seed form. Our faith, hope, and charity are present whenever we're in the state of grace. It's our duty to cultivate them by cooperating with God's will through cultivating a spiritual life, a life of prayer, and having recourse to the sacraments often. That's how we increase the theological virtues. So we increase our faith, open charity. Increasing the moral virtues, prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance, it's of course acting virtuously in everything that we do, but doing so out of love for God and love for our neighbor, seeing them as people made in the image of God. So to love God above all things and loving your neighbor for the sake of God translates into exercising all of the moral virtues with that in mind. While they may look the same, someone merely moved by human pity or someone who is poor and giving them help is a, it's a praiseworthy action. It's a virtuous action. But that differs essentially from someone who does so moved by grace and out of love for God, seeing God's image in that person. Externally, they look exactly the same. Interiorly, they are essentially different actions. Now that's assuming that the one is doing it out of merely human motives and the other one is doing it out of supernatural motives. Of course, you can have someone who believes in God help someone who is poor simply because they want to look good. Now, that's obviously not only not virtuous, but it's sinful. And it's good to keep in mind, again, that someone who doesn't believe in God but is naturally virtuous, when they do a naturally virtuous action, it does move them closer to God in the sense that it disposes them more to receive God's grace. The more we come out of ourselves and act for others, the more likely we are to be open to the promptings of God's grace, and God's grace is always waiting to break in. There's so much more to say about virtues, 
both theological and moral virtues, but perhaps that will be the topic for our members episode this Saturday. So if you're not yet a member, please do consider subscribing to help support the podcast so it can continue, and also so you can have access to the continuation of this episode, and also have access to commentary of the Fathers of the Church on the Daily and Sunday Gospels, and also other resources and helpful tools. Thank you for listening to Catholic Daily Brief. Please follow on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and give a five-star rating and a good review, if you please. God bless.